Becky to come up and introduce our speaker for this morning. Thank you. Morning, everybody. My name is Becky. I'm an addict. I don't think I'm going to say anything about him. I didn't say last night. So, um, you know, it was one of those. I have to say, Michael was one of those things that um, we've known the same people in recovery long before. We knew each other. I knew his former girlfriends. I'd been in his hotel room and didn't know it. Um, so, sort of meant to be. But, um, you know, I will say all these years later, um, I have more respect for you, not less. And that's saying something. So, it's my honor to introduce the speaker this morning, Michael, from somewhere. <laughs> My name is Michael. I'm an addict. A um, couple of odd things. I had a lot of trouble sleeping last night. And uh, some other old guys may relate. You know, I was up all night long going to the camp. So this morning, I've had absolutely no coffee, uh, which is not normal. And, and I have no idea what you're going to get. Um, I usually am pretty amped by this time of day and stay that way most of the day. So we'll see. And before I even get going, I want to really thank uh, the committee. I want to thank Don and all you guys for all the hard work you've done all year long to make this happen. Let's give them a hand. And, and I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to come spend a weekend with my girlfriend. That's really cool. And, uh, and share and, and be part of your convention. It's been really sweet. And to run into people, you know, like this guy here, you know, it's like, what the hell? We went to the same treatment center a few, year, few years apart. We know the same people, you know. Some of you I've seen at the World Service Conference or at conventions, you know. And uh, we really do live in a small community. It seems really big now, but it's really a small community. And uh, I got clean in a town where I used, the whole time I used, basically, I, I used in a town of 2,000 people. Um, so I know about small towns, you know, and uh, I thought, like I always thought, that I was getting by and nobody knew what was going on with me. And, you know, you know how that is. Everybody knew what was going on with me, man, you know. Only one who has, didn't have a clue was me, and uh, that's usually the way it is. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of who I am and then see where that goes. So, you know, I, uh, I come from a family of generational addiction. You know, uh, my father was a drunk, uh, a nice drunk. My grandmother, his mother, was a drunk, a very nice drunk. Her father, who at the time was in his 80s, was a chronic alcoholic who would go on three-day benders, and it would be, Grampity, Grampity's gone for a couple of days, you know, and he would roll back and go to bed <clears throat> for a few days, and, and that was normal. I didn't know <clears throat> that that wasn't reality for everybody. I really thought, until I was probably clean, that everybody's dad fell asleep on the floor every night after dinner. <clears throat> Doesn't everybody's dad fault? I mean, that was just the way it was. I had a great family. They were not abusive in any way. You know, they were strict with me because I was numero uno, and I rebelled. And I, you know, but that's not surprising. I've rebelled at everything all my life. You know, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I think I always thought I knew better, you know, than whoever was telling me anything. You know, and I never listened to good advice, and I never took cautions from anyone, and I always did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, just the way I wanted to do it. And so, you know, by the time I was 12, I was drinking. By the time I was 14, I was having sex. By the time I was 16, I know I was an alcoholic. By the time I was 17, I was getting married because I knew so much about birth control. Uh, <laughs> I was smart. I was smart. 
everybody always told me, you know, you're not living up to your potential. And you know, oddly enough, sometimes today people still tell me I'm not living up to my potential. There must be a pattern here. There must be a pattern. Um, but you know, having any intelligence at all sometimes is a curse. You know, and so I could work my way through most situations, and I could get myself through school, and I could put it all together with minimal effort. And you know, most of my life, I gave my life minimal effort. I did what I wanted to do and got by somehow. Um, so you know, 17, I have to get married. Uh, 18, I have a daughter. Uh, you know, like just weeks later, basically. You know, uh, she's in my graduating class. And right around that time, you know, six, eight months earlier, I started using what we now call drugs, uh, you know, and started smoking weed and uh, started on a just a little different direction, you know, because it was, you know, you know how it is. It was everything. It changed who I was because uh, alcohol did that for me first. You know, it, it was the social lubricant. It made me able to talk to you. It made me able to flirt with girls. It made me able to get out on the dance floor, just function through my life that was based on fear. You know, uh, I would never have told you I was afraid. I didn't know that I was afraid. That's just how I felt. You know, and it was always that way. And I always felt inadequate. And I always felt less than. And I never felt that I fit in any place that I was until I started getting loaded. And then I fit in everywhere. You know, it's easy to fit in with the bottom of the barrel. You know, it's no problem. And so I headed there as fast as possible. <laughs> you know, but it was also a cultural thing. You know, it was the 60s. And those of you who actually lived through the 60s know it's different than it is now. You know, it was like I was improving my life. I was expanding my consciousness. I was connecting with a power greater than myself. And I'm going to tell you that I was. Those things were not real. I mean, those things were real. You know, it really happened. It was a real experience. Unfortunately, the chemicals that I had to take to keep that experience going always stopped working. You know, no matter what I did, it always stopped working. You know, and so I would progress to something else. Um, you know, getting, uh, getting married and having a kid at 18 years old certainly changed my thought of a career path. And... Uh, I did something different than I planned on, you know, and, you know, it was the Vietnam War, and I thought, well, I'll enlist. Well, they won't take you. If you were me, they wouldn't take me, but they would draft me. But they wouldn't draft me because I was 4-H because I had a wife and kids, so, like, I didn't have to go, you know, and, uh, but, it, you know, it was this crazy consciousness, and I just continued to fill myself with drugs at all opportunities, you know, and, uh, Something else that goes way, way back for me is that I've always, I was always a thief. I was always really good at being dishonest, and I was always good at taking your stuff. Uh, and uh, that continued till I got clean, you know. And you know, like most of us, uh, I took from whoever was closest and easiest. So I would rob anybody that was close to me, whether you were my dope fiend friend or you were my mother, I would take your shit, and I would use it, you know, and uh, I was one of those addicts who didn't put anybody in front of me, no matter what, so now I have two kids, and I'm find a connection that'll take the food stamps, not too cute, but that's who I was, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to make sure that I get fixed before you eat, and it happened all the time, you know, and, uh, and I didn't think that was bad. I didn't connect that, you know, that I was causing anybody else any harm. I was just living my life. I was doing what I wanted to do, you know. Um, I tried to get clean uh, in 73, and uh, I went to a place, and they detoxed me on some pills, and my wife and I had happily gone down the road of addiction together so we were both detoxing together you know and that was really exciting and fun and uh, I got about three days on their pills and I did what I've always done I patted myself on the back to great wow you know you, you've got a reward coming 
you know. And I was always about rewarding myself rapidly, you know. <laughs> Good job. Okay, let's get loaded. So uh, I didn't get clean. <clears throat> but what happened is uh, I got introduced. You know, a seed was planted, you know. And uh, <clears throat> they gave me this little white book. And so this is 1973, and a little white book was something I'd never seen before. And uh, I remember going home with this little white book and sitting around a spoon for hours, shooting cocaine, reading the white book. And this came out of my mouth. This looks like a really great thing for those people that need it. I mean, you know, I was an ugly sight. Let's just say if you're shooting cocaine, you're an ugly sight, you know. And uh, I believed I was okay. It was you guys that had the problem, not me, you know. Um, So it took me a couple more years to get clean. Oh, thank you. Uh, And when I went back, I... uh, you know, they say there's, you know, you got to be here for the right reasons, and I don't agree. You know, you just got to get your ass in a seat. You know, you really just got to get in a seat. It doesn't matter if you're here for your mama, your girlfriend, your baby, the courts, the whatever. It just matters that you're here. And, you know, we say all the time that if you're in this room today, you're probably not here by accident. There's probably a good reason that you happen to walk into, like these two people last night, into a Narcotics Anonymous convention in Billings, Montana. Wow. Uh, you know, um, so I, uh, I fell into recovery. I didn't want to be here. I really didn't want to be here. You know, I thought this was a place where I would learn to, learn to control my using, you know, and that I would continue to do what I'd always done, but just a little more successfully which is really was a great goal, you know. I want to just use a little more successfully. And, uh, but, you know, I went to real meetings now and, and saw people who had what you guys all have. You know, they were actually happy to be where they were. Even in locked up in some treatment center, they were happy to be where they were. And, uh, and it's infectious. You know, our addiction and our recovery are so similar. It's really infectious, you know. And uh, they're the two things we have in common, right? All of us, we have addiction and recovery in common. And other than that, our lives are completely different and our stories can be really different. But the disease is the same for all of us. And, you know, in the ensuing decades being here, I've learned that it's not just the disease that's the same for all of us. It's life that's the same for all of us. And how we feel is the same for all of us. That every single one of us has the same feelings. And I didn't know that when I got here. And I didn't know that <clears throat> for a long time, you know, uh, that, that I was human, really. You know, because I felt like probably most of you, I felt really alien. You know, I felt really different. I felt like not connected to the world, you know. And uh, a lot of what I did was to try to be connected. So <clears throat> I got clean in this treatment center, and, you know, amazing things happened rapidly, you know, and through no effort of my own, which is really good for me because that's how I like it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> happened to me, you know. Um, But I was about 40 days clean, and the Fifth World Convention of Narcotics Anonymous happened in my town, right? And uh, there was me and this guy, Steve knows him, Norm Motter. uh, He'd been to a world convention once before, and they said, if you guys volunteer, you know, everybody, if you volunteer, we'll give you all-day pass. We were like, yeah, you know. So we went to this convention. Now, I'll tell you that there was like a thousand people on the dance floor and everybody was rocking and it was beautiful and it was 400. (laughs) I think it was 400, you know. Uh, It was amazing. It was just amazing. You know, I got clean in a community. There was like 40 or 50 of us clean. Most 
everybody was in the treatment center I was in. I knew there was another community somewhere else. But in my world, that was all there was of us. And so when we had this convention, the people from all over California, <laughs> all over California came. That was a miracle. And I think some guy from Vancouver came, and that was incredible. You know, and, uh, you know, the Board of Trustees were there, and that was wild. And Jimmy K was there, and it was, I didn't know any of these guys were. He was some skinny old man, you know, because I was young, you know. And uh, it was just amazing, you know, the connection and the happiness and the joy. And, you know, and uh, like many of you have said, and I believe, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to just a little bit of dark humor and, and irreverence, you know. And, and, but I found a home here. I really did find a home here. And I, my mom came to the Sunday morning meeting. Kind of like this. And we were sitting in the front row, which is kind of what I do most of the time. I sit in the front row. And uh, there was these two people sharing, George and Pauline. George and Pauline from San Jose. George P., convict to the bone. You know, you've seen him in movies. Uh, and, uh, and his wife. And they did a tag team Sunday morning spiritual meeting, right? And they were back and forth. They didn't really like each pitch. They kind of played off each other. And at one point, there was this great epiphany. And I heard in one sentence everything that was going to keep me here. You know, it was machine guns, God, and motherfucker. All in the same sentence. And, and I think my mother was ready to die. But I was like, yes. This place is for me. I, I can be here. You know, uh, I know that's sad in a way. <laughs> but, it, you know, really then it just like made it so okay for me to sit in that room and sit in those chairs and, and not be afraid to be myself, to know that there were other people that had walked this crazy life too, that had done some things that they were ashamed of, had done some stuff that they still were running the glory train on, you know, and didn't know the difference, and I'd fit in, you know, and like a lot of us, I was home. I didn't know. What was going to happen? So I did what any red-blooded American dope fiend male would do. Chased a lot of girls. <laughs> a lot of girls. It was a beautiful life. And, and I got a sponsor, and we did that together. <laughs> you know, uh, We fished. We went to a lot of meetings. We went out with as many girls as possible, and uh, and we stayed alive, you know. And we talked about program. We talked about recovery. We talked about life. We did things, you know. Um, and uh, I got my first year clean, and you know, it was a big deal. I had I had been thrown out of treatment, and I had a, just a maybe a small resentment. About that small, you know. And I was going to show those dirty dogs, you know, who threw me out unfairly. Just, you know, tossed me to the dogs. Because, uh, you know, I, I got to say, you know, in, in 1975, when you walked out of the door at the treatment center, they told you you were dead. And I'm not lying. They told you you could not make it on the streets. Nobody made it on the streets. You didn't get back in. You were probably going to use and you were probably going to die. And it's, that's easy to believe, you know. And uh, so I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I didn't want to go back to where I was. And I had nowhere to go. And also the, they put you on the list. You couldn't associate with anybody that was in treatment program. One minute you're living in the same room, the next minute you're like uh, invisible at a meeting. So uh, I was a little worried. 
to say the least. I was a little worried, and I was, I, you know, I really had it together. I want to tell you, you know, that I was very financially successful and all that stuff. And everything I owned, and I'm not lying, was in this burlap sack that I was carrying over my shoulder because that's all I had left. And uh, I walked by a payphone. You remember those payphones, you know? <laughs> and I had a dime, you know, and, and I called, and I didn't, I was, you know, it's like, who am I going to call? Well, my friend, the connection's still home, and I still know his number, and I was going to call Philip. And something just had that moment of clarity, you know, and I knew that if I called him, I was done. I was just done. Now, and I didn't have a lot of program under my belt at like 50, 60, 70 days clean. And, uh, but I had been around here and heard the steps and read the steps and went to many meetings and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I just started reciting the steps out loud to myself. And when I got to the third step, I knew that I needed to do something. And I just begged for the power to get through this, you know, it helped me. It was, I don't think I ever thought about the power to get through this. I thought I thought really clearly helped me. That was about as good as I could do. And I called somebody else. And they said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll see you after work. You know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, uh, I haven't been homeless one day. Obviously, I haven't missed many meals. You know, uh, I'm still here breathing. You know, I, I've never had a relapse. I've never used anything that wasn't a prescription drug that I needed for some pain I was in. And uh, I don't know how the hell I was the lucky one. I was telling Steve the other day, yesterday, I guess, you know, there were 40, 50 of us. Of those 40, 50 people, three of us, four of us, five of us stayed clean through the whole thing. Some of us relapsed and came back. Most of them relapsed and died. And so now I know the three people that are left from my generation in that treatment center. And, uh, and they're great. They're amazing. You know, and what a bond we have. You know, what a bond we all have. You know, we're all survivors. You know, we're all survivors and we come in here and we connect and we realize that we're surviving something that kills thousands and thousands of people. And uh, we're the lucky ones, you know. There used to be this cool little thing from that other fellowship that was all there was when I got clean that was like, why, why are we chosen? I don't know why I'm chosen. I certainly didn't have some great, you know, spiritual message to carry to the masses, you know. I was just an addict, you know, who got lucky, you know, who got to be in the right place at the right time. So with all these gifts I've been given, what have I done? Well, I wasted one life before I got here, and I've done a good job on this one, but not really, you know. I've, you know, uh, I, I got married. I built a world. I built a little world like a lot of us want to do. I built a cute picket fence world, you know. I got a wife. She got kids. I got kids. I got a job. I got a car. I'm happy. Everything's okay. Looks good on the outside. But I'm not doing shit except showing up and uh, I worked in the restaurant business so I worked nights and we didn't have day meetings not one day meeting so I went to one meeting a week you know and I learned how to live on one day, one meeting a week and do service and I think that's the thing that has made the difference for me is that I don't know that in 39 years I've not that I've ever really not had some service that I was supposed to do you know I've had some service I was supposed to do, whether it was five years on the phone line, midnight to 6 a.m., because that's what I could do, or it was being the chair of the World Service Conference, or it was whatever. I've always been involved, you know, and, uh, and I fell in love with Narcotics Anonymous, you know. It's just been unbelievable, you know, it's just been unbelievable, you know. The, I, I, I used in this town of 2,000 people. Really, uh, once I decided, once I learned that I wasn't going to become a physician, because <laughs> that was my dream, I didn't have dreams. I didn't have dreams. I had hallucinations. 
<laughs> I didn't have dreams. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that's as good as it got us. I took something and I saw something and that was good. I didn't think about, I want to go to, I want to be. I want to, I just want, you know, really, I lived a day-to-day existence. That we all really live a day-to-day existence, but, you know, we, we have dreams. You know, and so when I got to N.A., I don't know that I had a lot of dreams, and I don't know that I built a lot of dreams, but I started learning how to live, you know, one day at a time, not taking anything. And, uh, and I had a lot of challenges because of who I am. You know, uh, I'm, I got an ego as big as all outdoors, you know, trying to work with you guys isn't easy for me you know it's like I need to be right as Becky will tell you I need to be right and I most often am let me tell you (laughs) and uh, it's been a really amazing journey with her particularly because it's like the immovable force meets the whatever it is you know ain't none of us budging and uh, it's been a, a miracle. So let me get to that. You know, we, I got married. Uh, I stayed married a long time. I seem to do that. You know, uh, I seem to be a relationship guy, uh, whether I like it or not. You know, many days I don't like it, but I'm still there. You know, so what do I know? I'm a relationship guy. Uh, and uh, eventually that ended. That ma- marriage ended, and it was really painful for me. And and it pointed out some. Uh, areas in my life that I wasn't doing a very good job in. And one of them really was my recovery. I stayed clean quite well, but I wasn't really progressing. And that, the, the, the way I look at it now, it's easier to look at. It's like, for many years, nobody ever asked me to sponsor them. Ever. Ever. I had one sponsee, and that's, that was it. And then uh, my ass fell off. And the solution for me was to go back to meetings full-time as much as I could. So if I got off work at 9 and the meeting ended at 9.30, I was in it. You know, I just drove right to the meeting and, and, and I was like a newcomer. People thought I was a newcomer. I got asked, are you new? I'm not new. I got nine years clean, you know. And I, and I realized, I went, yeah, as far as this guy's concerned, I'm new, you know. And uh, look at my clock here. Oh, I'm good. Uh, and so I... Uh, I rededicated myself to save my own ass, quite honestly, you know, and I started doing something that I hadn't been doing. I started telling the truth. And I don't mean that I was telling lies. I was just not telling the truth. You know what I mean? I wasn't being disclosing. I wasn't telling you what was really going on in my life. I was going into meetings and making the happy face, you know, and uh, I don't want to, you know, look bad to the newcomers. I don't want to show them. Uh, It's a bunch of bullshit. It's just a bunch of crap that we tell ourselves when we don't want to be honest. You know, for me, I don't know about you, for me, you know. And when I started telling the truth about where I was every single day that I went to a meeting, I talked and I told the truth about where I was. And it was sometimes good, sometimes not so good. You know, all of a sudden, I had all these guys that wanted me to sponsor them. And to me, that was a difference because now I was real again, you know. And I had something to share, and I had something to give them, you know. And and you know what I had to give them was a lot of, you know. And I still today, same thing. I give you a lot of what not to do. I'm real good at saying, you know, that might be a bad idea. It didn't work good for me. You know, you no, know, you want to do that? It's not a good idea, you know. Uh, and somebody told me, and I read it somewhere also, but that. No matter what bad things for me happen in my life, there's going to be something of value there that I'll be able to share with another man. And, uh, you know, I, you know uh, I kind of didn't like guys much. I mean, I liked to hang out, but you had to really stay over there, really stay far away. Because uh, it was uncomfortable, you know, and because it was real, you know, because uh, women were... Uh, Something that I could work with. That's what it was. I could manipulate, get what I wanted, get the kind of pats on the back that I needed, you know, whatever. Uh, but guys were a whole different deal. And so sponsorship and letting guys in has changed how I am. It's changed who I am, you know. And, and uh, 
You know, I sponsor guys. I've been sponsored by really two guys in almost 40 years, you know, and they're both amazing guys. You know, they're both amazing men. And, uh, and I've shared stuff with them that I never thought I would share with anyone, you know, and it's been safe. And that's what I had to find. I had to find where it was safe for me to be me and let you know who I am. So anyway, and all that, you know, so now I'm single again, and I'm doing what any red-blooded American dope fiend boy would do again, you know, second-step material. But, I, you know, I'm single, so I'm having fun. And, uh, and I get in a little relationship, and it's not good, and I want to get out of it, but I want to do it positively, you know. I know that it never really works that way, but I'm going to do it positively. So I decide to take one of my sponsees, go to the World Service Conference, and just take a break. Wanted to see the World Service Conference. Uh, I met some people in London at the World Convention. That's a whole other story I don't have time for. Uh, and we went down there, and I ran into my buddy, uh, and he's sitting with these two women, and we say hi, you know, and that was it. I say, hey, hi, how you doing? Yeah, I got to go to my room. The next day is the first day of the conference, and it's another day into the conference, and then it's it. Some turns into be April 27th, which doesn't mean shit to me. It's just another day. And, well, not anymore, honey. <laughs> but at the, at the time, it was just another day at the conference. But, you know, they do this great thing at the conference. They recognize your clean date. So this woman stands up for her eight years clean and... Uh, Oh, what the heck. Uh, I watch her stand up. I'm in the back of the peanut gallery. I'm watching her stand up. Hmm. Very nice. And uh, I, I can tell you exactly what she was wearing and how her hair was done. That's how I know it mattered. It's, that, that moment mattered, you know. And so as soon as all that was over, I slid up on her in my best lizard move, you know, <laughs> Pepe Le Pew, hello baby, you know. <laughs> I don't think I quite did that, but I did, I did make a rapid move her way, and I ended up taking her out to a very expensive lunch uh, with several other folks from the conference who we went to this place and had two dollar tacos or some shit, you know. <laughs> but there was a, there was some little something happening. So, you know, being who I am, I managed to bump into her as much as possible. And we ended up making a date to do what everybody does at the conference in those days, go to the hot tub. Like every, so we go to the hot tub, and it's like, there's like a million people in it, and it's ugly. And we're like, oh, hell no. I said, I'm not getting in that water. She goes, neither am I. So we sat in a pool, right? And it wasn't really warm. And we sat in that pool for like an hour or two and just talked. You know, and at some point in there, some weird thing happened to me. Friggin' honesty came up one more time. And I said, you know, uh, I, I really like you, and I'd like to, you know, see what happens here. You know, I don't remember my words, but that was the gist. I said, but... I'm in this relationship, kind of like this friend of mine who was, she knew that he was getting out of his relationship. And I said, uh, and so I don't feel like, you know, I should do anything about how I feel about you at, the, at this time. And when I get single, uh, I'd like to call you up and maybe we can go out to dinner. And I think she felt like she's off the hook. <laughs> yeah, call me, you know. But she did give me your number. So that was, that was a plus. And so I went back home, and I, I now, uh, I'd already figured out what I was going to do, so this was just like icing on the cake. <clears throat> I made this situation happen, and it was not fun. It was really ugly, it was nasty, and got done, and I called Becky up, and I said, hey, listen, that situation's worked out, you know, and I'd like to come up to Reno and take you to dinner. She goes, well, that's great. She said, I'm coming down next weekend. And I said, that's great. I gotta tell this. It's the best. <laughs> so, remember she said that two two people had called her on the same day for a date, and I was the second one. Well, my buddy 
<clears throat> who I'd gone to Europe with and gone to the World Convention, went to, you know, he was the first caller. Caller number one, we'll call him. His initials are MF and you can tell why. No. <clears throat> Years two. Yeah, well, it could be. <clears throat> so anyway, she says, well, I'll meet you Friday night at the meeting. I couldn't get to the meeting on time. I said, well, we'll meet over here at Lyons. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It's a small world stuff. <clears throat> I said, uh, okay, I'll meet you at Lyons. Everybody goes after the meeting. So she goes to Lyons with these two other women. And I ride my motorcycle over there, and I get off, and I start to walk in the door, and she's sitting with the woman who just moved out of my house. <laughs> I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> tomorrow and nobody saw me I got out of there so fast I was like greased lightning man this could be a sticky situation well it gets better so the next night was like a, a speaker meeting and dance she said well I'm gonna go to the speaker meeting and dance I said great I'll see you there so I roll up she's there the meeting happens and the dance starts and and she seems to be free and uh, we're t we're chatting and we're out, she smoked in those days, so we're out in the hallway while she's smoking, and we're, we're getting to know each other. It's quite lovely. And so then we uh, all decide we're going to go to breakfast. And so we all sit down at breakfast, and I'm sitting across the table from Becky, and my buddy's sitting next to her, and uh, I start talking to her about coming to Reno next week. And at that very moment, I went, oh, shit. They're on a date. <laughs> like, what a mess I've got myself into already. <laughs> uh, you know, that was June 1987. Good Lord, what's happened to the time? Um, you know, we dated long distance for a year, over a year, and a year and a half about. And that was weird and good. It was really good. Because something different for me happened. I don't know about for Becky, but something different for me happened is that I actually got to know her by talking on the phone for hours, you know, and and spending weekends every other weekend, a couple weekends here, a weekend there, whenever we could, go to a convention. We went to the World Convention in New Orleans together, you know, and it just, you know, great things happened. We developed... Probably the thing that's kept us together all these years is we really did, before any bullshit got involved, we developed a friendship, you know, and uh, that's real new for me. I don't know about you guys, you know, but I, you know, I'm more in the hostage-taking variety, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't mean like I can hit you over the head and take you, but once I like you, I don't let go, you know, I just say, oh, I'm going to be with you all the time, you know. <laughs> Because it's so fun, you know, and, uh, that, and that's what I mean by hostage-taking. You know, I never let go. Um, <clears throat> so we developed what, for me, was really different. And uh, eventually, I moved to Reno to be with her, and my son came. And uh, the year before, when I first met Becky, I had my teenage son living with me. And uh, it was challenging. He was using, and uh, I was struggling with him not following my rules. And eventually gave him an opportunity to make a choice. Uh, it's like, you know, you can stay here with me. You got to follow my rules. Or you can go do whatever it is you're going to do. Your choice. That's not really a very good choice to give a 16-year-old kid. Uh, but, you know, I was at my wit's end with him. So he chose to go live with his mom again and use with her because they were using buddies. And he spent another year or so using. And uh, he ended up in uh, the emergency room a couple times. And the last time... I went to get him, and I said, uh, I really need you to come home. I'll change. Because God knows he didn't <laughs> right away. Uh, but he came, and uh, when I started dating Becky, I got the opportunity to speak at their big camp out that they had instead of a dance. And uh, he came with me for the weekend, and... And he heard me speak for the first time ever, and I don't know that it was that profound. Uh, but he left there, and I stayed up there, spent a couple more days with her. And uh, he went home, 
got his last rock of hash, went to his mom's house and smoked it with her, and he's been clean ever since. How does that happen? You know what I mean? I, I, the only thing I ever did positive about that is I never tried to force him to do anything. You know, it's just like you have choices, and here's, here's what you can do. And, uh, you know, anybody that knows my son, and none of you do, but Becky does, and he is a remarkable young man. Well, he's a remarkable man. He's not young. Uh, he thinks he is. But, huh. uh, you know, but you know, he's 44, and he's got 27 years clean. You know, and uh, he's an exemplary NA member. I mean, exemplary. This guy is as straight up as you can get. He is full time, all the way. When he's in it, he's in it deep. You know, we started. We moved to San Francisco, and we started his home group because there were all these expatriates from other places who hated San Francisco meetings. And so a bunch of us got together and started this meeting, and it's still going today. And he's like part of that group, like the mainstay of that group. You know, it's just he's amazing. He's new, my new boss, which is really exciting and new, but good. You know that I trust him enough to. Let him, you know, take that responsibility of me. Really, it's pretty amazing. So I have this daughter that I never talked about, and uh, I never speak at Sunday morning meetings. This is maybe or uh, conventions. This is maybe my third time. But my set first time was 1993, Mother's Day, and uh, I have a daughter, my firstborn, uh, who I. Loved very much at that time and love even more now. Um, and she was, she, had, she was challenged in her own life like all of us are. You know, she had problems that I didn't understand. I never thought she was an addict. That's the key ingredient there. I'm talking about blinders. I never thought she was an addict. I took her to Al-Anon, adult children of alcoholics. I took her to, the, you know, everything under the sun except N.A. You know, because uh, I didn't think she had a problem like that. So I'd gone to Alaska to speak at this convention, and I was a Sunday morning speaker, and the Friday night speaker was a good friend of mine, one of Becky's sponsees, and the Saturday night speaker was my best friend, Becky's boss now, and they rocked the world. And I'm like, oh, Christ, i got to follow this. What will I talk about? Kind of like where I am today. What will I talk about, you know? And uh, I'm going to shut this off because it's going to go off and... Everybody will know I'm supposed to be done. <laughs> uh, so when I got to the podium that morning, I started sharing about my kids. Now, I never shared about my kids. I shared about my son. I shared about my I said I had kids, but I shared about my son, who was one of us in the rooms, and it was relevant to what I was doing there. But that day, I shared about my daughter which I had never done. And uh, it was either good or bad. I don't know. Nobody told me they hated it, so I walked away, and it was fine. But the, the next day, the next week, we took my mom out for Mother's Day because I'd missed it because, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was there, and my daughter showed up. And her and Becky and my son are at the other end of the table kind of... And all I could think of, because this is just how it is, kind of trouble is she in now that I got to help her out of? So fucking self-centered. You know, I mean, just, it's just a sad place to be some days. And, you know, so they said, Maureen's been going to meetings for a week. She's got a week clean today. I was like, fuck. Really? And that began, like, the scariest part of my recovery, maybe. <laughs> because... My son and I looked at each other and we were like, oh man, family therapy, this is going to suck. Because <laughs> my daughter was, so, when she first got clean, this girl could cry over anything, you know. And my son and I being really, really staunch men, you know, never show a feeling. <laughs> we are like, oh, this is going to be a bitch, you know, and it was. It was really tough because she she wanted something she'd never had from me. And I had no idea how to give it to her. I had no idea. So she started forcing it. 
And it didn't work. As much like Becky, if you force me to do something, it's not going to be pretty. You know, I'll probably be resisted. You think? Um, so she finally, well, she got a great sponsor who was Becky's sponsee. That's why she's a great sponsor. Uh, and uh, she is a great sponsor for my daughter. And they started working on some stuff, you know. And she started working. She started working the steps. And our relationship started getting better. And <laughs> so one day we were trying to, like, do bonding stuff. So we're going to go to dinner together. So she comes and she says, I'll drive, Dad. I said, okay, great, you drive. So I get in her car, and I sit down in her car. She'll hate that I tell the story. And uh, I look at her keys. And I go, wow, you know, I find it really interesting that both my children have handcuff keys on their key rings. <laughs> she goes, you know, Dad, what's really interesting is that you know. <laughs> and then she said something that we've gone with the rest of our lives so far. The apple didn't fall far from the tree, Dad. <laughs> so, well, okay. <laughs> you know... I can, I can never repay Narcotics Anonymous. I can never repay you guys. You know, my, my daughter is, except for Becky, she's the woman in my life. You know, she's my girl. I'm her dad. And it's just fucking incredible. I never expected to have that with her. I never thought that I wanted that, let me tell you right now. I was like, oh, yeah, fine, kids. Yeah. My kids have changed my life. This program has changed my life. This program has changed them. We have this incredible family. We have an incredible family, you know, and it's only because of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, my, uh, my daughter, uh, like I said, we're tight, you know, and uh, 2000. Six, she decides, she comes to me, she goes, Dad, I'm not ever going to get married. And so you're not going to have to throw a big wedding for me. But I think I'm going to throw myself a 40th birthday party. And uh, would you help? I went, sure. Sounds good. So, uh, you know, I helped. I gave her some money, big deal, you know. And uh, she'd also informed me that she wanted to be a mom. But she was single. She said, oh. I don't care. I'll raise them myself, you know, but I want to be a, a mother. And uh, I said, well, I'll support you in that. I know. I said, I'll support you in that, you know. So she uh, has this 40th birthday party. She's been, you know, uh, auditioning uh, sperm donors <laughs> in the flesh. And... Uh, I'm, I'm so glad things went the way they did because the guy that I got introduced to, I really didn't like him. I was all dadding up, you know. I don't know that I, don't know that I like the way this guy is treating my daughter. So anyway, she ends up falling in love with her boss, who's a woman. They get married in California legally. Great. We had a great wedding. It was just, I got to walk her down the aisle, you know. Picture in my bedroom is me and her at her wedding. It's just spectacular. And you know, this is Becky's daughter now. Becky doesn't have any kids. She has my kids. We have a family. And uh, long story short, my daughter has twin boys at 43. <laughs> and uh, I know there's grandparents here, so I know you know what I'm going to say. My world changed. My heart just went, oh, the minute I picked this kid, it's like, fuck. So this kid has none of my genetic material. I love him like nothing else, both of them. I love him like nothing else, you know. I've never felt like that for another human being. And it's only because of what we do here that allowed me to get there. You know, I mean, I could be the dad who never talked to his kids. I could be the husband who never came home, never wanted to be with anybody. All these things I could be that I'm not. 
I will tell you, I am so far from perfect, it is ridiculous. The only way I'm walking on water is at the Dead Sea, you know, because you can't, you can't sink there, you know. But uh, I'm still clean, you know, and every single day that I don't take nothing is another opportunity for me to get better, you know. And uh, right now I'm getting better. I'm in a good place, you know. I'm in a good place spiritually, which is rare for me. Not rare. It's that I'm in a place that I'm really at peace with it at the moment, you know. I'm a, I'm a railer against religion kind of guy, you know. I'm a irreverent, uh, you know. But I'm spiritual, you know, and I try to allow that spiritual part of me to blossom. And uh, one of the biggest problems I've had in Narcotics Anonymous is what they warn us about in the readings, an attitude of indifference or intolerance towards spiritual principles. And it's hard for me, you know, because I want to, uh, even though I know it's not true, I want to make religion and spirituality the same thing. And I have serious problems that I've created on my own. And i got one more thing and I'm going to shut up, I swear to God. I've learned recently, it's really scary for me to be learning shit at 66 years old and 39 years clean, but I've learned recently and I've come to believe that I have created a world that's not based on fact. It's shocking. It's shocking for me because I've built everything I believe in so many areas has been built on false premises. Really? Everybody doesn't think the same way I do? Because I really thought deep inside there you did. And I'm learning that deep inside there you don't. And it's scary. This is scary because really, and one of the things I always loved about Narcotics Anonymous, and I've said it many times, is that I got to come here and build my own moral laws. You know, I, it was, I could build my morals because it was what I got to do because I could figure out who I was in the world and how I wanted to move through it. And that's where the problem is. That's shitty. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's going to be a lot of work. You know, and, uh, and it's, you know, but... Work is what changes us. You know, doing something different is what changes us. Doing the same thing and getting the same results time after time and year after year isn't change, is it? You know, it's just the second step girl stuff. You know, I am so incredibly grateful to be clean and so incredibly grateful to you guys for having me here and so incredibly grateful to my partner for being my partner. Uh, she says, I'm the love of her life, and I just can't handle that. That's hard to hear because it makes me feel good. It scares the shit out of me. Uh, and, uh, and it makes me really happy. So thank you, guys.